I can hardly express the difference between our feelings then and now. Now we might be horrified, perhaps surprised, but not really astonished that war should come, because we are all conscious that war does come, that it has come in the past, and that at any moment it might come again. But in 1914 there had been no war for how long? Fifty years? More? True, there had been the Great Boer War and skirmishes on the northwest frontier, but those had not been wars involving one's own country. They had been large army exercises, as it were, the maintenance of power in far places. This was different. We were at war with Germany. I received a wire from Archie. Come Salisbury if you can. Hope to see you. The Flying Corps would be among the first to be mobilised. We must go, I said to Mother. We must. Without more ado, we set off to the railway station. We had little money in hand. The banks were shut. There was a moratorium and no means of getting money in the town. We got into the train, I remember. But whenever ticket collectors came though we had three or four five-pound notes that Mother always kept by her, they refused them. Nobody would take five-pound notes. All over southern England, our names and addresses were taken by infinite numbers of ticket collectors. The trains were delayed and we had to change at various stations, but in the end we reached Salisbury that evening. We went to the county hotel there, Half an hour after our arrival, Archie came. We had little time together. He could not even stay and dine. We had half an hour, no more. Then he said goodbye and left. He was sure, as indeed all the Flying Corps was, that he would be killed and that he would never see me again. He was calm and cheerful as always. But all those early Flying Corps boys were of the opinion that a war would be the end, and quickly, of at least the first wave of them. The German Air Force was known to be powerful. I knew less, but to me also it came with the same certainty that I was saying goodbye to him. I should never see him again, though I too tried to match his cheerfulness and apparent confidence. I remember going to bed that night and crying and crying until I thought I would never stop. And then, quite suddenly, without warning, falling exhausted into such a deep sleep that I did not wake till late the following morning. We travelled back home, giving more names and addresses to ticket collectors. Three days later, the first war postcard arrived from France. It had printed sentences on it, which anyone sending a card was only allowed to cross off or leave in. Such things as, am well, am in hospital, and so on. I felt when I got it, for all its meagre information, that it was a good omen. I hurried to my detachment in the VADs to see what was going on. We made a lot of bandages and rolled them, prepared baskets full of swabs for hospitals. Some of the things we did were useful. Far more of them were no use at all, but they passed the time. And soon, grimly soon, the first casualties began to arrive.
A move was made to serve refreshments to the men as they arrived at the station. This, I must say, was one of the silliest ideas that any commandant could possibly have had. The men had been heavily fed all the way along the line from Southampton, and when they finally arrived at Torquay Station, the main thing was to get them out of the train, onto the stretchers and ambulances, and then to the hospital. The competition to get into the hospital, converted from the town hall, and do some nursing had been great. For strictly nursing duties, those chosen first had been mostly the middle-aged, and those considered to have had some experience of looking after men in illness. Young girls had not been felt suitable. Then there was a further consignment known as ward maids who did the